Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Excited this morning to uh, continue our series, and, and today we'll be wrapping up our series that we've been doing, the new rule, the new rules rather for love, sex, and dating. And um, it's so encouraging to hear all of the, the feedback, and I, I say a huge thank you to everybody that checks in and, and kind of tells me how maybe some of the messages have, have been relevant to your life, to your experience, to your family's life. Um, it, it's also been really rewarding and, and really beautiful for me as a pastor to have a few conversations um, that have come from this series as well about some healing that's going on um, over some people's past, and, and that's just, that's what it's all about, man. It, it's, it's so beautiful to, to experience, and so to the church family, um, I, I want to say thank you for, for kind of being part of a church and, and creating a church where things like this can happen, subjects like this can be talked about. It's just, it's really beautiful, and I, I love my church. I just love my church, so... Um, so it's really beautiful to see it happening. And, and I think it's so, it's so critical for the church to kind of get these things right and to talk about these things um, in our, our societal climate. There are so many competing values and ideas out there, right? It's kind of it's critical for the, the current generation of young adults, for the up-and-coming generation of, of teens and young adults to kind of get all of this right, to understand design, to understand how we were created and how God made us and what God made us for. Because if, if we miss our, our intended purpose, right? If we're trying to, to, to spend our lives and, and live our lives in ways that we were never intended to, that's, that's, where, we, that's where we run into friction and trouble and, and heartache and those kinds of things. So this is not just about rules or religion, but this is about trusting in Jesus, trusting in our maker, trusting in his design, trusting in his words. Um, and it really is the better part of making a life. So the bottom line idea in this series that we've been looking at ever since week number one is this. Are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? And this is really important because we're not going to buy into the fairy tale anymore. If you're single, you're single again. Uh, you're a young person. You're not going to buy into that fairy tale of, of just meeting the right person and everything becoming all right. You know, that's the myth out there. When I find the right person, everything will be all right. And so in, instead of searching high and low and, and looking for the right person, and then when you, you, know, you, you kind of run into difficulty and trouble in that relationship, you think, well, man, I, I didn't really you know, find the right person. I think I found the wrong person. That's not what it's about, but it's taking the time, being intentional about becoming the right kind of person, about becoming the person that we hope that the person we're looking for is looking for. And as we're kind of on this journey, we're going to see, we're going to kind of encounter those people that are taking the same steps as us. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't look for the right person. You still got to look for the right person, but we just don't come into that relationship believing a myth that once we kind of get into that relationship with the right person, that everything will be all right, just kind of magically, right? It's kind of, it's kind of like what happens when you buy a car. You ever notice that when you buy a car, like you, you, you drive off the lot, wherever it might be, and you pull up to the stop sign or pull up to the stoplight, and all of a sudden, what do you see at that intersection? What is it? Say it. A car just like it. Anybody ever notice that? Like you, you buy a car, you drive out, and sure enough, man, like everybody has the same car as me now. What has happened? It, nobody went out and bought the same car as you the same time as you. Those cars were already there. They were already on the road, but you hadn't noticed them 
because you weren't really looking for them before. And it's the same thing with, with becoming the right kind of person. As you begin to change and, and transform and take intentional steps towards becoming the kind of person that Jesus designed you to be, when you start putting value on the right things, you'll start noticing other people who are putting values on the right things as well. You'll actually find that who you are attracted to changes, right? Like married folks are scared to say amen, maybe. Like, you know, like, no, it's kind of like, anybody ever had your taste change as you got older? Like, I didn't used to like broccoli, and now I like broccoli. I love broccoli now. It's great. The house stinks, but I love broccoli. You know, it's just, it's amazing. Asparagus. Anybody like asparagus? Mmm, Chelsea made some bacon-wrapped asparagus the other night. I'm not sure if I liked the asparagus or the bacon, but I liked them both, and I just ate it all up as much as I could. So are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for, or are you at least in process? Are you at least making steps, being intentional about the change and the transformation in your life? And so today's the last lesson. We're going to look at like one final principle um, today, and then I'm going to drop a, a ton of final principles in your lap because there's just, we could spend another four weeks through all this stuff, and I'm not going to do that to you. But, um, but once we're kind of overwhelmed by all that we need to do, once I give you all of those last preparations and principles to kind of think about and hold on to, once you're kind of overwhelmed about all that we need to do to change, we're going to realize how much we need Jesus, and then we're going to sing a song about it, and then I'll let you go home. All right, sound like a plan for this morning? But again, all of this is because I want you, I want single people or single again people to have an incredible marriage. It does exist. Marriage can be amazing. Marriage can be special. It's part of our design. It's part of what we're made for. But we don't hear much about the great marriages because honestly, when it comes to like television or stories or books, like great marriages are a little boring. They make for horrible drama because they're drama free. Right? And so we don't hear a lot about great marriages. They make for horrible soap operas. They're pain-free. They're heartbreak-free. And I want all the single people in the room to have a pain-free, heartbreak-free, drama-free marriage, boring in such a beautiful way. I want you to have that kind of marriage for yourself, all right? Just like your Heavenly Father intended for you to have. Now, Here's the thing. To all the young people, to all the people that have never been married before, let me, let me tell you a little bit about what's happening, uh, what happened yesterday, what's going to happen next Saturday, what happens every single Saturday in every single city just about all across America. Let me tell you what happens. Every Saturday, just about every Saturday in just about every city in America, single people get all dressed up. And brides put on a white dress, and they hold flowers and, uh, you know, the, the groom puts on the penguin suit, right, and the shiny shoes, and, and he, the groom puts on the clip-on bow tie because nobody knows how to tie a real bow tie anymore. And, and they've spent thousands of dollars. They've spent weeks and weeks and months and months of preparation, right, and they get in front of some friends and some family, and there's some broccoli and asparagus kind of cooking in the background, waiting until they're all done, right? And they, they hold hands and, and they exchange rings, you know, right? And then somebody like me stands in front of them and says, repeat after me. And so they do, and they look at each other, stare deeply into each other's eyes and say, I promise, I vow, right? I will love you, honor you, cherish you, rich or poor, sickness, health, all of this thing. And every Saturday, all across America, single people make promises to the people that they love most, but they are promises that they cannot keep. Think about that. Every Saturday, in just about every city, 
Single people make promises to people they love, but they're promises they can't keep. Now, it's not promises that they don't want to keep. These aren't promises that they don't intend to keep. It's not like they're, they're getting up and lying. But these are promises that they have not prepared themselves to keep with each other. They mean well, but three weeks later, or three months later, or six months later, a lot of times within that first year, they, they, they realize, you know, like, hey, I, I know what I said, but this is hard. Like, this is difficult, right? And, and that bed sure got a lot smaller, man. And, and, and you know, th- th- I didn't know she'd be like that. I didn't know he would be like that. I meant it when I said it, but it's a little more complicated than when I first made the promise. In fact, I think he or I think she is making it a little more complicated than when I first made the promise. And so then the fighting starts. And they start pointing fingers at each other, and then they start holding each other accountable. But you said, but you promised, but you gave me your word, and my daddy was there when you said it. You promised, and your mama was there when you said it. They make promises they can't keep, vows that they are not ready to fulfill. They want to, and they're trying to, but they just are not prepared to keep their promises. And here's the reason why. It's because of a principle that gets overlooked when it comes to relationships and marriage, but it's not a marriage or relationship principle. It's actually something that we all know. We all have lived out in some area of our lives. It's not a marriage principle. It's not even a spiritual principle. It's just a principle. It's just a part of life. We all understand it. I bet we all will agree with this principle when I show it to you, except when it comes to our promises that we make in marriages. And it's this preparation principle. And the principle is this, that promises are no substitute for preparation. That's good. Everybody say it with me. Promises are no substitute for preparation. Anybody in the audience ever ran a marathon? Raise your hand. Yeah, nobody on stage has either. Don't worry about it. But but it's one thing to run a marathon. It's one thing to sign up to run a marathon. But if you don't go out and train for that marathon, you are not finishing that marathon, right? We all get this. We all kind of understand this. What determines where you place in the marathon, what determines whether or not you even uh, cross the finish line in the marathon is not the promise you made. It's not the goal you set. It's not the paper that you signed or even the entrance fee that you paid. What determines whether or not you cross the finish line is your preparation for the marathon, right? A student can promise their parents that they're going to score high on the SATs. But if they never study for the SATs, if they never prepare for the SATs, what can you predict about their SAT scores? Right? It's just going to be low. It's not going to happen because they did not prepare. I could promise you I can make a promise right now, a vow to you eternally with all of my heart that when you walk out those doors, there is going to be barbecue waiting for you. Juicy with barbecue sauce dripping down and my mom's baked beans and Chelsea's mashed potatoes and and bread. And then there's some apple pie that's just kind of sitting on some warmers and all the cinnamon sauce is getting gooey and drippy. And then there's some some, some vanilla ice cream on off to the side, and I'm sweating. <laughs> I can make all those promises to you, but if Lacey's not out there preparing it, where's Lacey? You're in here? 
Oh, man. It's Lacey's fault, everybody. Everybody say, boo, Lacey. (laughs) What happened? A promise is no good if there's been no preparation. Jared, you promised. Jared, there were witnesses. We have it on tape. We got it. And, but if I don't make preparation for what I have promised, then the promise does not matter. Everybody say, duh. We get this. But then when it comes to relationships, we have this weird thing going on in our minds, and it's this idea right here, that I can promise my way past my lack of preparation. And people get married based on only a promise without ever taking steps to prepare themselves for the marriage. And just because you say, I do, doesn't mean you can. Just because you say, I will, doesn't mean that you will be capable. Now, it does make you accountable, but when you're accountable for something that you're not capable of doing, it makes you miserable. No husbands say amen right now. Just stay quiet. There are husbands and wives all over the place, and maybe you might even know some, who are miserable because they are being held accountable for some promises that they made that they were not capable of keeping. Which means when it comes to marriages and relationships, promises are way overrated. Now that's kind of a harsh statement, isn't it? But when it comes to marriages and when it comes to relationships, promises are way overrated. But we put so much time and money and pageantry and ceremony into celebrating the promise. But when the whole thing starts to unravel, the first thing to go are the promises that people made to love and to cherish each other. Promises are cheap. It's the truth. It's the truth. Turn around to somebody close to you and make them a promise real quick. Go ahead. You can promise anything. Go ahead. They're cheap. You guys are scared to. They're cheap. It's easy. But listen to me, single people. You're still thinking of all the promises, right? I promise you a Mercedes when you walk out that door. Chelsea, just wait for it. Just look for it. But single people, listen, you're going to meet someone, and you're going to trick yourself into thinking when you meet someone because you're going to be in love, and you're going to feel butterflies, and it's going to feel amazing. And all of these things, and you're going to trick yourself into thinking, my promise and their promise will be able to conquer our lack of preparation. And then it gets worse. You're going to allow them to trick you that their past doesn't matter. You're going to allow them to deceive you and trick you that their track record is completely irrelevant and that their past choices won't show up in their future choosing. And you'll believe it. Why? Because in marriage and relationships, we think that we can promise ourselves past preparation. But when it comes to marriages and relationships, listen, promises are way overrated. And people think, we all have this idea that as soon as I get married, somehow, magically, by the power of love, I will change. And not only will I change, I'm going to change for the better. We end up changing for the worse. No, don't say amen to that. It's not, but it's just not true. And promises never make up for a lack of preparation because promises are overrated. Now, there's some good news, bad news for all the single people in the room. The good news is you have time to prepare. You're not married yet. 
You haven't made the promise yet. So single people, good news. You have time to prepare yourself. But now here's the, here's the bad news. You will never be less motivated than you are right now to prepare yourself for the promise you're going to make someday. See, what happens is people get married, and then when everything you know, just starts unraveling and all hell breaks loose, that's when people start thinking about their preparation. That's when people start concentrating on the changes that have to make, they have to make. And, and most people aren't motivated to work on themselves until they come to a rough patch in their marriage, and then they spend thousands of dollars and lots of time in counseling, and sometimes it's still too late for them to save the marriage. So single people, good news, bad news. You have time to prepare, but you've got to overcome your lack of motivation because you'll never be less motivated than you are right now. So here's the takeaway for singles in week, this week number four. It's this decision right here that I am going to prepare to promise. Come on, everybody say it with me. I am going to prepare to promise, all right, so that when you make your promise, you will be able to keep the promise that you make. And then the whole car thing will start happening and you'll start noticing other people that are preparing themselves who have done some prep work on their own. You'll start sitting up and taking notice of people you've never noticed before because you will see in them the qualities that you hope that they will see in you. And your life will be moving in such a specific direction that when you meet someone who's cute but who may be moving in a different direction, you won't be as attracted to them. And hopefully, they won't be as interested or attracted in you. Now, probably nobody here disagrees with the preparation principle. Everybody here probably understands it when it comes to career, when it comes to the SATs, when it comes to a marathon. You probably wouldn't even argue that this is true of relationships. But just in case, I want to look at the words of one of the wisest men who ever lived. His, his name was Solomon. He wrote this book of wise sayings um, there were, uh, in this powerful little document that we call Proverbs. It's found in the Old Testament, the old part of your Bible. And these, prover these Proverbs, they're kind of like fortune cookies, but from heaven. They're like, you know, the, the sayings that come with, without all of the little yellow calories that come with it. And so we're going to look at two verses from Solomon, and, and then we're going to look at some application of these principles, all right? And then we're going to realize from all of this and all the things that we got to prepare ourselves for how much we need Jesus, and then we're going to sing a song about it, and then I'm going to let you go home. All right? Everybody good? All right. But before I go there, listen, I want to talk about a word that's going to pop up in just a second. It's this word prudent. Now, we don't use this word very often. Anybody in here ever used the word prudent in a conversation? Raise your hand. One hope is the only one in the room that's ever used prudent. What in the world does the word prudent mean? The word prudent or a prudent person is someone who is able to use the past. If I can give you kind of a, a dumbed-down definition, this is kind of like Jared's dictionary, all right? It's someone who can use the past to predict the future so that they know how to operate within the present. They're able to see what's behind them, or they're able to see what's behind someone else and use that information to kind of guess the path or the course that they or somebody is on so that they can know how to act right now, so that they can know how to navigate their path. Prudent people understand that all of life is connected. Hello, somebody. Prudent people understand that all of life is connected. Your past is connected to your present, and that will ultimately impact your future. And so since today will at some point become my yesterday, I need to act today in a way that honors my future and where 
I'm heading. And that parallels what we're trying to do in this whole series, right? Um, and, and we talked about this in January, how we like to predict our own future. We wish we could predict our own future. And we say things like, I should have seen that coming. Anybody ever said that? Right? Anybody ever said, I knew that was going to happen? What's happening? After the fact, you started getting prudent. But there was a way for you to see what was going to happen before it actually happened. So if we can put that into today's message, it's that we should be prudent in every area of our life. And Solomon talks about this in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 8. He says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, to their behaviors, to patterns, to actions, to habits. Patterns and actions and ways make us predictable. Patterns and actions and behaviors. This is why your parents knew what you were going to do before you knew what you were going to do. This is why your close friends knew how you were going to respond before you had the chance to respond. It's why your spouse knows how you're going to react when they say a certain thing or call you a certain thing or do a certain thing for you. We know the prudent person, Solomon says, pays attention to ways. Well, why? Why do they do that? Because past performance is the best indicator of future behavior. So prudent people pay attention to the path. Prudent people do not pay attention to promises. Prudent people do not pay attention to words and commitments. Why not? Because words and commitments don't tell me about where you've been, and I can't use your words and commitments that you make today to predict where you'll be in the future. Look at this. Solomon goes on. Uh, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Prudent people look at track history. Prudent people look at a track record. Uh, They look at past performance. Fools think regardless of history. They ignore a person's track record. They make excuses for a person's past performance. And they think somehow, even though all of this has been the way that I've been going before, somehow, magically, I'm going to leave this moment going in a completely different direction. Because I made a promise. And Solomon said that's the, different, that's the difference between prudent people and fools. Fools say, I know I handle my money like this. I know that I, I handle my disciplines like this, and I'm kind of undisciplined. And I know that I've done this before and let this into my life, and this kind of habit is, has developed, and I come in late to work, and I do all these other things. But even though people in my life that I respect and who are wise and who care for me, even though they may shake their heads at me, with God, all things are possible. And somehow... In spite of my past history, my future is going to be different. With God, all things are possible, but with you, right? Come on, somebody. Y'all are getting quiet in here. I'm hitting too close to home. Uh Uh-oh. But the prudent person understands that everything is connected. The prudent people understand that God is not a genie. God is not your personal wish master. And the prudent people understand that promises are overrated. He goes on a little bit later in the chapter and he says this, the simple believe anything. And do you want to know what you become when you fall in love? Simple. You become real simple when you fall into love. Right? Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen in the house? We believe anything about somebody when we fall in love. Anybody ever heard the the saying before? Love is what? Blind. You ever heard the rest of that? But marriage is an eye opener. You ever heard that? 
But when you're in love, man, you'll believe anything. Why in the world would you believe anything? I believe him. I believe her because we have a song. And your parents are like, yeah, but he doesn't have a job. You're like, well, I don't need a job. We're in love. And the other day, we were going to meet at Starbucks. And, and it just so happened, we pulled in. We pulled into the spaces right next to each other. We heard each other playing the song. It's a sign. And when you take our ages and you add them together, and then you multiply them times zero, it always comes up zero because we're going to be in infinity, unbroken love together. It's a sign. It's a sign. And we come to each other. (laughs) Math nerds will appreciate that joke. And so we come to each other. Or somebody comes to the other and they think, I I know. They say, I know this is wrong with me. I know this is my habit. I know this is my past debt. I know this is, is my job history. But man, once we get married, everything's just going to change for the better. Everything's going to be different. And Solomon's saying, no, no, no. The prudent person says, hey, we need to talk about your past. We need to talk about your ways. We need to talk about your steps. But the simple thing, all I care about is your promise. When we get fall in love, we all get real simple. But listen to me, it's okay because you've gone through this series now. And when you get into your future, you're going to work on some things before you fall in love. All right? So we're going to help you out. Some simple protection. But this is why your parents... Freak out about your, your romantic interests. This is why your close friends aren't into him as much as you are into him. Because you're looking at a promise and they are looking at his previous relationships. You're looking at, you're, you're listening to your song and they're hearing about his gambling problem. You're looking at him and, and all of the words that he says are going to happen in the future or her and all of the things that she says are going to be a part of your future together. And they're asking you, like, how long have they been apart? Like, you know, before you get into it. And you're thinking, yes, but it's okay because we have the same initials. It's all going to work out magically and be all right. But I, and I know I'm kind of poking a little bit, but Solomon goes on. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. Prudent people know just how connected everything is. They're looking at patterns. They're looking at habits. And when you look at a person's steps, you can tell where the person is going because promises are overrated. The paths that people choose trump the promises that they make. The paths that people are traveling trump any promises that somebody can make to you. So the question that you should ask yourself or the other person when you start dating is not, where are you now and what do you promise to be in the future? The question that needs to be asked is, where have you been and where are you headed? And now listen, for Christians, this gets tough, right? Like I, I was putting my notes together on this part and I thought, man, I, I need to maybe back off that a little bit because we're Christians and we believe in grace, Hello, somebody. Like, I'm not saying that sarcastically. We're Christians, and we believe in grace. And we're not looking for perfection. We're not saying that once somebody has some dirt in their past, that they're, they're damaged goods, and you shouldn't ever be with that person. That's not what it's about. But the prudent person is giving thought to their steps, is giving thought to their ways. You're giving thought to whether or not they are following Jesus or whether or not they are following you. 
as you try and follow Jesus. Give thought to their ways. Dirt in someone's past does not make them irredeemable. It does not make them undesirable. Or else every single person in this room, we would all be alone forever. None of us are without flaws. None of us are without, you know, none of us are perfect and pure. But what path are we on? And I'm here to tell you, if you feel like maybe your past disqualifies you for a different future, that's a lie as well. But you got to get on the Jesus path you got to get to a point where you find some forgiveness and some help and a different kind of strength and a different kind of power than you have had before. Because the prudent people pay attention to paths, but the simple will believe anything. And so if you're the one here this morning and you think maybe I'm the one that needs some new direction and maybe I'm the one that needs a new beginning, this is the best possible place for you to be. This is the best possible message for you to hear. Christianity should not make you run away. But Jesus is the hope for anybody who feels hopeless. Jesus is the answer for anybody who feels that they're in despair because of the past. Can I get an amen from somebody that knows what I'm talking about? But you got to give yourself over. you got to give yourself up. you got to stop walking through life your own way. you got to trust him beyond what you can see and what you can figure out on your own. Um, and, you know, and, and if you don't want to follow his paths, and listen, there's no way that this pastor would ever recommend for someone to be in a relationship where you would make them promises. So just begin, just begin following Jesus. Begin leaving a trail of steps that if the prudent person got behind your steps and started looking at your trajectory, they would see that you're going to end up at the cross at the feet of Jesus, drenched in his mercy and his grace. Can I hear an amen one more time? So, are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? And how will the rest of us know? The path that you are on says way more than any promise that you could ever make. So, What are the paths? What are the preparations? What are the things that you have to do, that we have to do? And we're going to cover some of them uh, today, and I can't cover them all. You need to read the book that this series is based on, The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. There's so much in there. Um, You need to read that book. You need to read more books than that. But I want to go over some of the things that you need to do now so that you'll be prepared to keep your promises Later, And this first one that we're going to go through is a little bit longer, but then we'll hit the rest um, a little bit, you know, kind of quick. And then we'll realize at the end of all this just how much we can't do it on our own and we need Jesus. And then we're going to sing a song about that. And then I'll let you go home. All right. So here's number one. Here's preparation number one. You need to address your unresolved childhood issues. Listen to me. This is a big one. This is way too big to cover in a sermon, but it is way too big to not mention. This means that potentially some of the people in this room, some of the single people in this room or single again people in this room, you need to get counseling. And that is not, that should not carry a negative stigma with it. That should not be something that you look down on. There is beauty and restoration and hope in that. There really is. I tell people all the time when I meet with people, I tell them, look, I'm a pastor, I'm not a counselor. 
So I will talk with you one or two times, and then we'll see if you need to meet with a counselor. I would love to do that for you. I'd love to sit down with a cup of coffee and maybe talk some preliminary, have some preliminary conversations. But if so, you need to get to a place where you are safe, and you need to get to a place where you can address your childhood issues. And, and, and you know, it's definitely going to take some study and some accountability and some support. Um, but listen to this. We, we do this premarital counseling. Uh, it's called Save Your Marriage Before It Starts. Um, and the authors are these brilliant Christian psychologists, um, doctors Les and Leslie Parrott. Listen, look what they had to say. If you attempt to build intimacy with a person before you have done the hard work, everybody say hard work, of becoming a whole and healthy person, then every relationship, say that with me, every relationship will be an attempt to complete the whole in your heart. You have to address your childhood issues. You have to address abuses. You have to address some of the things that have happened in your past that still linger and haunt you today. Research and the study shows that when the deep and hurtful issues from our past are left unaddressed, they always pop back up to sabotage the relationships that we enter in our future, which means that the number one thing that you can do to prepare yourself for the person that you hope to meet someday is to turn around and face the problems and the issues from your past. And most of the issues that try and derail a marriage, most of the issues that try and derail a relationship can all be traced back to a trauma in the past. A divorce that you experienced, an abuse or a neglect that you experienced, maybe an addiction or a pattern or an expectation that was in your family or in your parents or, or in you know, your guardians, whatever your situation was that was growing up. Listen, and then we get into a marriage and we unload our brokenness onto our spouses because a lot of times we thought that the spouse was what we needed to heal the pain from the past. But you're putting too much of an expectation onto a person. That person can't do that for you. That person is not your healer. There is a healer. There is hope. You don't have to stay with that pain forever. But his name is Jesus. Blessed couples get counseling. Blessed couples who don't address this before marriage kind of get some counseling and work through this in their marriage. But other couples who are not blessed end up getting a divorce. And if you come from a home where there was a divorce, listen, you probably have some issues that you need to address. If you come from a home where your dad was absent or maybe even your dad was there but not really there, you know, that whole dynamic, you probably have some of these issues. If you come from a home where your mom was kind of emotionally unavailable, listen, you probably have some of these things. This isn't normal according to our design. It's not what God made us to experience growing up, but because our world is so fragmented and broken and just a shell of what God designed us to be as we try and live life without him, listen, it has become normal for most of us. So you're not broken, and you're not, or you're, you might be broken, but you're not weird. You're not damaged and you're not irredeemable. You are beautiful, but you are hurting and you don't have to hurt anymore. And so you need to turn around and address some of the issues from your past. Now here's the second thing, the second preparation that you can do. And this is for the ladies. Ladies, don't dress like a commodity and don't put up with being treated like one. 
Oh, I thought I'd get more amens from that one. Ladies, don't dress like a commodity. You know what a commodity is? A commodity is some good or some service that you pay money for and you get it and then you use it for a while, but it's never really meant to be permanent. And when you're done using it, you get rid of it. Stop dressing like that and don't put up with any man who wants to treat you like that. If you get into the habit of dating men who treat you like a commodity, then the husband you end, up will treat, you end up with will treat you like a commodity. If he dates you like a commodity, he'll marry you like a commodity, and you shouldn't have to put up with that. Now, some of that could go back to preparation number one. There might be some things in your past that you need to address, and that's a very real thing. Some, some attention deficits, some things that you did not get in your childhood. You need to address that. But you need to not dress like a commodity and don't put up with being treated like a commodity. But now, ladies, can I talk to you about fishing for a little bit? I want to talk to you about fishing. Ladies, do you know what determines what kind of bait a fisherman puts on his hook? Any ladies know? What kind of fish the fisherman's trying to catch, right? That's what determines what kind of bait goes on the hook. Ladies, if you keep putting bait of your body onto the hook, all you're going to catch is body snatchers. You can't bait your hook with your body. If you troll with your bodies, if you catch attention by offering peaks and hints of your bodies, then you're going to end up with a man who can't quit looking at other women's bodies. Because that's the kind of fish that you caught. And you'll say, well, all men are alike. No, all men aren't alike, but all the men you've dated are alike. You'll think, all men are alike, but no, it's not all men are alike, but all the men that asked you out, they're all alike because you're fishing with that kind of bait. Anybody know how to work fractions? Anybody deal with fractions? In fractions, you have the number on top, it's called the numerator, and then you have the number on the bottom, it's called the denominator. And if you're going to work out an equation with fractions, you have to have a common. So now let's look at your relationship in terms of fractions. Your past 10 people that you've dated, it was him and you. And then it was, oh yeah, him and you. And then it was him and you and him and you and him and you. What's the common denominator? You. You're the common denominator. Ladies, you are so much more than a body. You are so much more than an external shell. You are a mind. You are a professional. You are, oh, come on, somebody. You were created, ladies, to be a daughter of God. You are a daughter of the king, of every other king. And you need to make sure that you're fishing with the kind of bait that's going to catch the kind of man that's going to treat you like his queen. So don't bait with your body. Bait with your brain. Bait with your values. Bait with your career and, and your integrity. and Bait with your generosity and your kindness and bait with your love for God. Bait with your body and you'll never find a different kind of relationship. You'll end up in the same relationship with 10 different people. If you want something different, change the bait. And then you'll end up jaded. You'll say things like, all men are pigs. You know, most of them are, but you know. But tons aren't. 
Listen, one last thing and then I'll move on. If you, if you attract him, if you catch him with your body and the way that you dress, you're going to have to keep him with your body and with the way that you dress. And I have some bad news. As cute as you are now. Come on, somebody. Gravity and time are undefeated, y'all. Just... Gravity is cruel, somebody. Now listen, preparation number three for the men. Stop treating women like a commodity. Men, stop treating women like a commodity. Knock it off. Stop. Li- Listen, men, I, I know no men in this church, you know, nobody in this room has secular music on their playlist. You guys just listen to Hillsong and, and Torrin Wells. I know that. I, I get that. But listen to me. If you did have secular music on your playlist, on your iTunes, you need to purge your playlist today. Don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't give it one more spin. Nothing like that. Any song, any artist who sings or raps or performs any song that refers to, and listen, this is a little bit, I'm going to keep it PG, but any artist or any song that refers to women as the B word, get it off. Any song, any artist, you need to ditch that artist. If they talk about women as whores or talk about them with the S word or the P word or the W word, the A word, the L-M-N-O-P word, any other letters, listen to me. You don't need to keep putting that junk into your ears. Get it off. It's, it's amazing to me. When you look at history, when you look at the history of oppressed people and people that have been abused and enslaved and, and, and conquered and all of these things, one of the first things they do is start changing the way they refer to a group of people. It happened in Rwanda. It happened with the Jews in Nazi Germany. It happened in America with slavery. Hello. The first thing they do is they start referring to a group of people as a different word. Why? Because it makes them less than human. And when I see you as less than human, it bypasses the compassion circuitry in my brain. And I don't feel guilty about the way that I abuse you anymore. Listen to me. You need to get this junk out of your ears. Because it's getting into your heart. Men, stop treating women like a commodity. Listen to me. You don't want your children to be raised by a whore. Why would you ever listen to music that calls your future forever woman a whore? Get rid of that junk. You wouldn't want your daughter to be called somebody's whatever. Why would you think of someone else's daughter that way? And if anybody ever thinks of my daughter that way, yeah, I'm going to lay aside my Holy Ghost. (laughs) And then I'm going to call Raymond to come beat you up. I don't fight well. <laughs> it's a lot of this. <laughs> men, men, this one, this one's serious. I didn't know how far to go with this one today. But listen, men, if you are addicted to pornography, if you look at pornography, you need to take a step today to break those chains. You need to leave Pornography. Everybody in the room, pull your phones out. Every single person, pull your phones out. 
Carl, you don't have to pull yours out. It's a flip phone. You just... Everybody but Carl, pull your phones out. Everybody pull up the camera app on your phone. Everybody do it. Every single person. Point your phones toward the screen. Ready? Everybody take a picture of this slide right here. Every single person in the room. Take a picture of this slide. Not of me, of the slide. I'll break your camera. Everybody take a picture of the slide. For parents, there is an app out there called Bark. You need to install this on your kids' phones and on your phone, create an account, whatever you got to do. You need to get this on your phone and your kids' phones today. All right? If you're a young adult, you're not a family person, you're a single person, whatever it is, you need to get this other app, Fortify. You need to get it on your phone today. You need to put it, install it on your computer, wherever you browse the web. These things are not the full answer, but this is a start. This is a start. These two websites down here, fightthenewdrug.org and thetruthaboutporn.org, you need to visit these. You need to subscribe. You need to start learning about this stuff. You need to educate. Parents, 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 if you don't want to be bothered with learning technology, then you need to get all of technology out of your home. If you're going to be that lazy and have technology in your home, then get, but you're not going to learn about it, then sorry, you don't get access to technology because it's killing your kids. should not allow your kids to have it if you don't want to learn about it, and maybe you shouldn't have it yourself. You would never give your kid a gun without teaching, at least without teaching them some basic safety habits and safety practices, right? But you give your kids a device that's loaded with all of the evil and filth that people have never, that, have, that people have ever imagined, and then you send them off to their rooms to look and browse the internet and surf the internet on their own. And you're not anywhere nearby. And you don't check anything. Or maybe you just do a cursory check of everything. Listen, the studies and the research are not even in question that pornography will lead to the objectification of women. It leads without variance to sexual practices and viewing sexual acts that actually increase in violence. That actually increase in the dehumanization of women. It leads to increasing amounts of time spent in, the, in, the, in that addiction. And it rewires the brain so that normal, physical sex is not even chemically or physically possible anymore. This is why there is, and like, I'm talking about people have testified before Congress, not religious people. Secular psychologists and doctors have testified about the danger of pornography and how it is rewiring this generation's brains. That's why there are young men in their 20s who are needing prescriptions for Viagra because physical intimacy is no longer possible because their brains have been broken by pornography. And yet you give your kid a phone with no learning about how to restrict that or protect them from that? What are you doing? What are we doing? We've got to change it. So young man, old man, you are addicted. Hello, 
No, it's not one time. It's not an occasional thing. You are in chains, and it will steal from you. It will kill you in this life and kill you in the next. It will destroy you and destroy your relationships. Stop treating women like a commodity. Stop treating women like something that you use for a little while, and then you get another one, all right? But listen, do us all a favor. If you're not going to break that addiction, if you're not going to get rid of it, then listen, when you find that person that you've been looking for, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take her out on a date, sit her down across the table, make sure it's someplace nice, put a candle on the table, you know that. Stare into her eyes, reach across the table. I want you to grab her by the hands. And if you're not going to break your addiction, if you're not going to work on it, this is what I want you to tell her. I want you to tell her, I love you. And I want to love you forever, but I want you to know up front that one body will never be enough for me. And then I want you to tell her, in fact, your body will never be enough for me. Now, let's go get married. See what she says. See how she takes it. Hello, if she's that special to you, doesn't she deserve to know? Or do you want to rob her of future happiness? Men, stop treating women like a commodity. Stop. Preparation number four. I know it's getting late. i got to hurry through these. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. If you're a single person with tons of debt, you're going to carry those bad habits into your marriage. And your marriage will have enough stresses and strains of its own without you adding your debt to it. And this is even worse when two people come together and one of the people says, don't worry about your debt, I'm going to pay it off for you. Now you have a clean slate, but none of your habits have changed. And so you're still going to carry that same thing into the marriage. And the whole idea of this series is to become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. So start the discipline now. Sell some furniture. Sell your mom's furniture. Sell something like cancel your Netflix account and get on Jason and Lacey's account. They won't mind, I promise. You need to be in Financial Peace University. They're starting week number three right here. Dustin's going to sit down, buy you a cup of coffee, and catch you up. Weeks one and two. He'll do it. No problem. Just, just do it. But get out of debt. Preparation number five, break your bad habits. Marriage was not designed to solve your problems. You do not get married to get your fiancé fixed. You get your dog fixed. You don't get your fiancé fixed. Don't get your animals mixed up. Someone gets into a marriage with a prescription addiction, it's going to get worse once you're married. Someone gets into a marriage with a porn habit, it's going to get worse once you're married. Someone gets married and they have a gambling issue, it's going to get worse once you're married. Debt, drinking, shopping, overeating, anger, whatever your bad habits are, listen to me. You can't stand at an altar and tell someone, I will honor you and cherish you and always put you first and always lay down my life for the health of this marriage and keep your bad habits. It's time to start preparing yourself to make a promise. The prudent considers their ways. The prudent consider their ways, but the simple will believe anything. Listen, this is the thing about bad habits that get brought into marriage. Whatever their issue is, six months into the marriage, it will be your fault. <laughs> there was a big yeah on that one. <laughs> you think, how in the world could they spin a gambling habit into being my fault? Wait, it'll happen. 
How in the world could they blame me if they can't quit clicking on porn? Just wait. It'll happen. The excuses will come. The explanations will come. And you'll end up carrying a bunch of guilt and weight and insecurity by the time it's all over. Before you get married and before you allow them to marry you, break your bad habits. Hello. Preparation number six. Men, stop treating women like a commodity. Women, men don't listen very well. So I put this one in there twice, all right? Preparation number seven, postpone any physical component of your relationships as long as possible. No one has ever told a marriage counselor, you know, I think if we had just gotten physical a little faster, things would be better today. But there have been a whole bunch of people who have admitted that they got physical too fast went too far, too fast, and in the physical fog that comes with all of that, you know, sexual stuff that happens before marriage, they could not see clearly. You need to decide now how far is too far to go physically, and then you need to share it with someone that you love and that you trust and who loves you. Listen to me. You need to decide now how far is too far to go physically. If you don't decide ahead of time, somebody else will decide for you. And why should you let their lack of self-respect determine yours? And I'm not even talking about premarital sex. That should be a given. You think, well, you're a pastor. Of course you're going to say that. I'm going to say that because God's, God's ways are just wise. Look at the research. Look at the studies. I am telling you, you people who lack self, uh, sexual self-control before marriage, the, the, the statistics are overwhelming. It is, it's not even close. People who lack sexual self-control before marriage are far more likely to lack sexual self-control after they are married. So you need to give thoughts to their ways. You need to examine the path that someone is on. But if you're simple, you will believe anything because self-control is a path. Self-control is an indicator from the past. It talks about the future. And every time you say no to a sexual or a physical encounter before you are married, you are saying yes to your future intimacy. Every time you say no to sex or to physicality before you are married, you are saying yes to specialness and to trust and to vulnerability and to sacredness that you want to enjoy in your marriage. So decide now, how far is too far to go? You wonder, well, Jared, how far is too far? Well, let me ask you this. If the person that you're looking for were being asked this question, what would you want their answer to be when they're with somebody else? Right? Like you're dating somebody, they're dating somebody, and you're hoping to meet up some point in the future. What are you hoping they put as their boundaries while they're with somebody else? Or a second question you can ask yourself is, how far would I go that it would make me want to lie about where I've been and what I've done? Well, that's probably too far. So decide now, write it down, and share it with someone. Listen, everybody you've dated before knows how far you're willing to go. It's not a secret. So make your future standards public as well. Finally, preparation number eight, get involved seriously in your church. Get involved seriously with your church. If you're going to become that person, if you're going to start preparing yourself to make a promise to that special someone, and you are hoping that another person has been in process of becoming that someone for you, there is no better place to go fishing than in a pool of people who are giving themselves to Jesus' amazing new kingdom. 
This is where you need to be. You need to be serving. You need to be in a small group. And you're going to start noticing other people whose lives are flowing in the same upward direction. When you're going to small groups, after the preaching, when you come up around the front, when you, in, in worship time, when you lift up your hands and when you lift up your voices, pretty soon, you, as you make that part of who you are, you're going to start noticing other people who have made that same decision for themselves. Go to church consistently, week in, week out. Don't even give yourself an option to miss. Say to yourself, this is who I am. These are my ways because I am being prudent. And listen, the things that we talk about week in and week out at church, these are the things that you need to do to prepare yourself to keep your promises. This is why you need to show up every week. Not because Jared's here, but because Jesus is here. Because the Spirit is here. Because the Word is here. And it can inspire you and challenge you and cut some things off that don't need to be there and heal some things that are broken and left open. I'm telling you, there's nothing better than being in the presence of Jesus. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Every week, Jesus is here, which means that every week, the miracle of life change is possible. And you don't want to miss the possibility of what God can do brand new in your life. You don't want to miss it. So this series, I know, has been a lot of teaching. It's been largely aimed at, at single people. I, I hope, and I think it's probably true, that there's been a lot for a lot of us to chew on. But especially to the singles or the single again, the young adults, the teens, I, I, you, you, are, you have such an amazing opportunity. Listen, single people, young adults, you have the chance to get this right. You have the time. You have the opportunity to start preparing yourself to keep a promise. Single again, people, listen to me. It's not over for you. There, there are new beginnings available to you. It does not matter your past. It does not matter your, flaw, your flaws or your failures. Thank God Thank God it does not depend on who we have been, but it depends completely on who He is. And you have the opportunity now to begin preparing yourself to stand one day in front of the person that you have found and that has found you and to look them in the eyes and to know that you have prepared yourself to make the promise of a lifetime. You will stand before them and hold their hands You'll squeeze them tightly and you can know and you can be assured that you have prepared yourself to make a vow that is worthy of those words till death do us part. That we can last forever and it doesn't matter what comes our way. I have been preparing myself for you. I've been preparing myself for you. But honestly, it feels a little scary, doesn't it? I mean, that's a lot to... That's a lot to tackle. That's a lot to chew on. And then some of us are married, and some of us are going through difficulties in our marriages and problems in our marriages. And we think, well, man, I wonder if it's too late because, yeah, I didn't prepare, and, and, and some things have come up that I wasn't ready for. And you're, you're thinking, I, I don't know if I can do it. And, and if you're single again, like there, there's so much hurt and so much anger and bitterness. And, and then for all of us, it's like reaching back into the past and dealing with our families of origin. It's just... Man, there's so many things that happen, and there's so much, as beautiful as we are in this room, there is so much pain and so much hurt from our past in this room. And we want things to be different, and we hope things will be different, and we even make promises. 
that things will be different, but we're not always able to keep those promises. We're not always able to keep our word. But here's the thing. You are not enough to make a new beginning on your own. See, you've tried it. You've been there. You made the promises, and then you messed up again. You said that again. You blew up again. You wondered, did I marry the wrong person? You wondered, did I go the wrong way? You wondered, am I in the wrong relationship? Or maybe you've seen somebody else that makes you question. You are wanting a new beginning, but you, on your own, you're not enough to make a new beginning. You're not strong enough to make a new beginning. You're not wise enough to make a new beginning. You're not committed enough. You're not disciplined enough. You don't have enough resources. Listen to me. You can't perform surgery on yourself. You need a healer. You need a savior. We all have things in our past that have broken past relationships, that have wounded people that we loved. And if we're left to ourselves, we'll end up doing it again. You are not enough to make a new beginning on your own. But I love this. You don't have to make the new beginning on your own. Because in this room today is a healer. In this room today is somebody that we just sang about a little bit ago. No wonder we call him Savior. Savior. Healer. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.